I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, we are here at the end of the season with a Leicester City segment, of course, joined by the terrific Jim Knight, who you can find over at Jim Knight Tweets, and he is our Leicester correspondent on this show, so it makes sense that you're returning to after this. Unfortunately, not the end of the season that you would have wanted, but it started very brightly, uh, kind of beginning to end. What was your view of Leicester's season? It was a season of two halves, um, almost identically. I was looking back at the results uh, this morning in preparation for this, just to kind of get familiar. Obviously, it's been, well, historically been the longest season in history, right? So from the Premier League, we've never had a season finish mm-hmm. in July before. Um, so it takes some remembering to go back to the 11th of August when we played our first game. Um, it was very much a case of before and after the turn of the year, essentially, um, before we were flying high. And there was a, a, a run, which I think was a club record best of eight wins in a row, eight league wins in a row, uh, which really propelled us towards not just Champions League place, but potentially challenging Liverpool at that point as well for the title. Um, albeit only for the first kind of third of the season. Um, that very much came to a, an abrupt halt over the Christmas period when we were beaten by Manchester City and Liverpool uh, quite convincingly. Um, and then basically at the turn of the year, so we beat Newcastle United 3-0 on the first day of the season, uh, the first day of the new year, should I say, the new calendar year. From then we were pretty atrocious. Um, There were some bright spots in there, but that's all they were, spots. And basically the case since lockdown has been carrying on that terrible run of form and basically just seeing whether we could do enough to cling on to a top four place. It then became a case of, okay, we were going into it with a a huge lead and then it was just being ebbed away as other teams got better and we were kind of plummeting. you know, in the in the momentum stakes, if not the points table until the last few games. And then obviously we slipped out of the top four and stayed there for the very kind of the vital moment. Um so yeah, it was it was a really weird season in the sense of we started super hot and then it just took a turn for the worse. I mean I was looking at the numbers today, I think there's 50 54 points on offer, 54 Premier League points on offer from the first of January to the end of the season. We took 20. Now Oof. that is almost relegation form if you say 40 points to stay upright over a, over a full season so the fact that we missed out on the top four actually shouldn't be all that surprising given the the results and you know people will point to that I've had this conversation a couple of times obviously since the matches um people will say oh it's a shame you know you couldn't quite beat Manchester United on the last day of the season to, to secure the top four place now yes that that is technically true um if we'd have beaten United um we would have been in the top four there was no doubt about that however 
that result alone wasn't what cost us a top four place. We weren't striving towards the end of the season and trying to get in at the very last gasp. The results that cost us a top four place were losing to Norwich City 1-0 in February, losing to Everton, losing to Bournemouth. So losing to Bournemouth and Norwich, two teams that were relegated from the Premier League this season, I think, mm. what, 20th and 19th? So, you know, we lost to two, the two worst teams on paper since the turn, since the turn of the year and they weren't the only defeats that we had. They were just the ones that stuck out to me the most. And it's like, if you don't take points from those kind of games, and we drew with Watford. So we basically took one point off the three relegation teams in the second half of the season. Now, you can't go into a season expecting results like that. And obviously they're balanced out by, to some degree, by the red hot start that we made. But the really concerning thing for, for Leicester fans now is that how do you recover from such an abysmal second half of the season? If it had been the other way around and we'd you know, only taken 20 points from the first 54 available and then finished up a train and just missed out on a Champions League place, it would have felt a lot different. And obviously, Brendan Rodgers might not have been in a job if he'd have got to Christmas and only got 20 points on the board. But it, you know, the optics of that would have been very different and the feeling around the squad. And yes, there are injuries, but I mean, the, the, the lack of form set in a long time before those injuries did. Um, so it was a really, really difficult one to stomach at the end. And it's just going to be interesting to see how Leicester as a club and Brendan Rodgers as a manager bounce back from that. Because I'm not saying he's under pressure the first game of next season, but there are going to be expectations that Leicester will, you know, will be up there mixing it in those European places again. And if he doesn't start well, then that, that pressure could grow pretty quickly given the sour end to this season um, in terms of the 2019-20 season. It's really interesting that you frame it like that, because I think a lot of people view Brendan Rodgers as having done a really good job, but this actually happened before when Shakespeare took over, is there were questions mm-hmm. toward the end of the year, and then he kept the job and then was out by December, if memory serves. It, it happens almost every single Leicester City coach that I can remember in the last five or six years. Ranieri won the Premier League and then was sacked the next season for not starting well enough. Um, there is no achievement from a previous calendar year a previous season that will see you survive the dressing room and the board turning against you at Leicester it just doesn't happen loyalty unfortunately doesn't seem to be in great supply you know you you sack the coach that took you to a 5,000 to 1 Premier League title win less than seven months or eight months after that happened um which tells you all you need to know. But that, you know, that goes both ways. We've given Brendan Rodgers a huge new contract when he was fluttering his eyelashes at Arsenal when before Arteta was installed. And unfortunately, it fits very well with the timing of the downturn in form of, De- of December into January when that appointment happened. Now, I'm not saying that is the root cause, but if that is the root cause, what what is going to happen in the next six weeks between now and the start of the next season that might then cause that rift, if there is a rift or if there are issues behind the scenes, to be healed? Because it's going to take, you know, yes, you get to press restart and you get a fresh set of fixtures and everyone starts on zero points, which is great news if you just survived and you're looking at it as a fresh start, less so if you're carrying the pressure from a previous slump into that season. Like You need to start well to put those doubts to bed and kick on with what, like I say, will be a, a decent level of expectation. And this is part of the problem for Leicester fans and how to frame this season. It's not as simple as you would have taken fifth at the start of the season. Yes, we probably would. That's true. I agree with that. However, 
the way in which it finished adds more pressure into that situation rather than us finishing well and to get to fifth, basically, and seeing that as an achievement. Because at the turn of the year, we were outside title contenders. You know, we were second for a long period because Manchester City had, had slipped up several times and Leicester had started really well. Um, we were beating teams left, right and centre. There was like the 9-0 at Southampton, which which sticks in your mind around that time. Uh, big wins over Arsenal and Villa in terms of the, the the winning goal margin at Villa was was great, that 4-1. And it just, yeah, it's a really weird dynamic at the moment. And it does feel like it's a really promising squad, but the pressure is going to be on straight away. And it, I appreciate that might come across as a bit negative for a, a, a fan of a team that's just finished fifth in the Premier League and will have the Europa League to deal with. That, I think, is actually part of the reason why I view it that way, because we all know how brutal the, the Europa League schedule is. We've seen it on other teams um, with similar size squads to, to Leicester in terms of not having two brilliant world-class players in every position. And that certainly isn't the case with Leicester. And a lot of people have pointed to the depth as the reason, combined with the injuries, as to why Leicester haven't finished the season as strongly as they could have. And I think that's part of it, losing pretty much your entire back four. Um, your best creative player in James Madison for a big chunk of that um, is important and it can't be overlooked as a factor. But Brendan Rodgers also had a dress, not a dressing room issue. We had a form issue a long time before that was happening, essentially. So it'll be interesting to see how we bounce back from that going into the next season. Yeah, how much of the struggles down the stretch do you put at Brendan Rodgers? I know you already mentioned some of those key injuries, which were huge, especially in the defense, like before the Tottenham match. I was not concerned about that match at all, um, just because I knew what our attack could do to, to defend struggling with, with injuries that severely. But if you had to lump it in one camp, more Rodgers, more injuries, more form? It is. I think it probably is both, because it's difficult to judge, because you don't know how that team would have played if if they hadn't had those injuries. But injuries are a big part of every season. So you can't discount that and say, oh, that will never happen again. Yes, Leicester were probably harshly treated on the injury front compared to some other teams. But we've also probably had years where we've done a lot better than other teams. If you look at the title winning year, when basically everyone stayed fit, it was just miraculous. The fact that Wes Morgan and Robert Huth were just keeping clean sheets week after week after week, despite the fact that ostensibly both of them were probably patched up with sticky tape for large periods of that because of how many games we were playing and how intense those matches were in terms of defensive pressure. This season, it seemed to go the other way. And, you know, you lose Chilwell, you lose Madison. I mean, the most, you're sick of hearing me talking about him now, Kev, but Ricardo Pereira is a world-class right back. Yeah, I don't fantastic. care what anyone says. Like, you watch him for any length of time. And bar the fact he isn't built like Kyle Walker... Give me one negative about him. There, I don't think there is one. I think his physical stature is the only thing that stops him truly breaking onto the, the, the kind of scene as one of the best right-backs in the world. Creatively, he is one of the best I've ever clapped eyes on as a, a fan of the sport for, you know, nine, 20 odd years. Um, he, he, his creative output in the final third is as good as anything you'll see from right-back. Um, and defensively, he's really solid as well. So in that modern fullback mould, you're not going to get better than him. And obviously, he is a big loss. Um, but yeah, to, sorry, to bring it back to your question about whether it's Rogers, whether it's injuries, whether it's form. I think the form and the Rogers thing are actually in, intrinsically tied because it, it does seem too much of a coincidence for me to believe there's nothing in it that Rogers seemed to really be building a squad of, 
hyper committed will run through a brick wall for you kind of players and that, and that squad mentality that underdog mentality that's kind of underpinned everything Leicester have done since they returned back to the Premier League um, for the most part and that kind of underdog tag that we seem to thrive on and then like I say he was heavily linked with the Arsenal job Arteta ended up getting it in the end Roger signed a bumper new contract which probably makes him probably one of the top five or six paid managers in the league which is no small feat when you think about the money that will be being shelled out to the likes of Arteta, uh, Pep Guardiola, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Jose Mourinho, etc., etc. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And what I would just like to see now, it will be really interesting going into the next season because it is a fresh start. But if there are rifts behind the scenes, and this is another thing that you need to remember with Leicester, those Leicester players have turned on coaches before. They've turned on Claudio mm. Ranieri, who won the league with them six, seven months before. And that was evident to see. They basically stopped trying, which is an awful thing to say. But the form drops in such a way that you can't think anything else because we know these players are capable of much better, right? So what other, what other reason, rationale is there for a team that were so good one season to not be anywhere near that the next season. And it's just the output of the players and the coach combined. And sometimes it doesn't happen. They installed Craig Shakespeare to essentially, um, you know, he was there, he was continuity as in part of, you know, being part of the backroom staff. But he was also, I think, an appointment that was going to be popular with the players at the time because he was that consistent piece that was in place. And he felt probably like the good cop to Claudio Ranieri's bad cop at that point, which is fair enough. But then it all went wrong with him as well. So Leicester coaches of late don't really have long, um, long lives in terms of you know their their lifespan as as head coach or manager of Leicester. So it will be really interesting to see how that transfers from from, from Brendan Rodgers because we've obviously put our faith in him as a club for a long term deal um, and a long term contract. So whether that's just to ward off potential suitors or whether we we truly see him as the next manager of Leicester for the next four or five years but also I mean one of the main things that was leveled at Rogers when he arrived at Leicester from Celtic was that he was basically using Leicester as a stepping stone to a traditional big job back in England because obviously he'd managed Liverpool in the past that had ended on a sour note he'd gone to Celtic he'd won everything there is to win there and with all due respect to the SPL that to my eye doesn't take a whole lot of doing especially when Rangers weren't in the league for such a long period either um but if he is using Leicester as a stepping stone, he's going to need to get us consistently into that top four, top six mix before another big club will will see him as their next appointment, I guess. So, the you know, this season on its own, I don't think is enough in terms of putting him in the mix for other big jobs, um, particularly with the way those managerial appointments sit right now. There isn't one that might immediately become available. Um, so he, he's going to have to to get something going next season as well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it'll be certainly curious to see how that shapes out. It, it kind of feels like just the way you were framing that of how we were always worried that Pochettino was going to leave us for like Real Madrid. And in the end, up, sure, we had to yeah. let him go. Um, so just that. Yeah, it, I mean, it could easily be that. It, if you told me now that you had a crystal ball and that Brendan Rodgers wasn't in charge in six months' time or five months' time at the turn of the year, I would not be shocked at all because the Leicester owners are extremely ambitious. And if they don't feel that things are going right in a way that is going to be detrimental to the club's long-term viability and success, then they will make a change. We have a history of doing that. And I don't think Brendan Rodgers bump a contract, which, let's be honest, money makes no odds at a certain point in the the Premier League um, money chart, you know, like paying a coach off at that level. Yes, it's expensive, but you also take a punt on a £15 million centre-back, for example, hoping that he turns into a, a good acquisition. It's not; It doesn't have to be a sure thing from a club's finances perspective. So although it's expensive and it sounds a lot, it pales into insignificance when you consider all the rest of the money sloshing around. So if it's not going right, don't get me wrong, he's, a, he's obviously a very, very talented coach. I just worry that there was there were so many warning signs for so long at the second half of the season. And he was basically just able to not survive because that implies he was in immediate danger, but he was able to guide Leicester to a suitable finish off the back of six months of really good form and what was, if you include the lockdown, six months of or seven months of really, really bad form, ostensibly. Um, so, yeah, and it's it's just going to be interesting to see how he takes that on board. Obviously, we have the summer as well, and there could be changes, uh, which might freshen the squad up. It might see key pieces move on, which in itself presents a challenge. But with the Europa League schedule as it is, there's going to need to be reinforcements this year. And again, that's another big challenge for him and the club scouting department who historically have done pretty well, I'd say, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, we've had a few big purchases go awry, but the vast majority of the lower end have kind of proved success, which is testament to their ability to scout prospects who aren't always the top of someone else's list as well, rather than just buying the obvious name that, you know, for 30, 40 million pounds, which tends to be where it goes wrong with Leicester. It's weird. There's such an inverse success rate based on the amount of money paid, which, you know, hopefully sees us in good stead because we don't have to shell out hundreds of millions of pounds to bulk up the squad. Yeah, the squad is a great question, obviously, because you have so many talented players. You're getting uh, all of the rumors of everybody uh, leaving. Obviously, yeah. Tottenham have been very interested in Ndidi. We've seen Chelsea's interest in uh, Chilwell reported on. Uh, you mentioned Pereira's greatness, although he's probably stuck there because of injury, which is great news uh, for you. Yeah, That's he always... won't be back till October, I don't think, so I can't see him going anywhere Yeah, so that probably soon. locks him in. Are you worried about losing any of that young core? And then at the other end of the age spectrum, I know Wes Morgan, I think, is on the way out. Is there anybody else that you could lose at, at really either end of the age spectrum at, at the club? So the two, I suppose the two or the three players that you would not lose, because I think with Morgan... He was a bit part player anyway. Um, he, I believe he's already on a player coach style contract um, and we've given him a one year extension. I think that was basically facilitated by the lockdown situation and the need to renew players before 
because of their contracts coming to the end um, of June. So it, we've given him another year. Um, the same as Fuchs, who who obviously has been a, a bit part player as well um, when needed at fullback. Um, the bigger question is how many of these players we hold on to that are the younger parts of the team. Now, you've got guys like Chilwell, which have been linked away. Madison is rumoured to sign a new contract locally um, in the last 24, 48 hours. So if true, you would expect that to tie him down for at least one more year. I suspect that will be a bit of a um, Harry Maguire situation where we tie him down. He's 23 now. Give him another good year and somebody will see fit to buy him out of that contract. So it'll be a bit like ensuring that you get top money when you do need to sell him. He he probably won't be at Leicester in two years' time, I would wager. Um, indeed, he is a huge one. He is the heartbeat of our team. And for 23 years old, I think he's an exceptionally promising and already successful player. Um, but yeah, I mean, indeed, Madison, Chilwell, I guess the three that you might think. I mean, people are probably sniffing around Sainchu as well. Uh, obviously, missed the end of the season th- due to a, a red card, but he's been really, really solid alongside Johnny Evans at centre back. And for a 24-year-old player that we paid 15 million pounds for, I think, uh, two and a half years ago or two years ago now, it it wouldn't be a surprise if he was on people's lists as a centre back of interest. Um, I don't think we'll sell more than one or two of these. That's the key thing. The club don't need money. There isn't really, unless it is a world, you know, world record level offer for someone like Harry Maguire, we wouldn't have sold in that situation, even when he was at the height of his powers and whether or not you judge him as an £80 million signing is is a personal preference, I guess. My overwhelming opinion would be that he wasn't worth £80 million and I refuse to believe he will ever be worth £80 million based on what I saw before we sold him. So the fact that we got £80 million for him was ostensibly a good deal. Um, so, yeah, there are a few players in the squad that have been linked away. As I said, um, Chilwell and Madison are probably the two biggest ones. If they go, we know they will go for big, big money. You're talking 60, 70 million probably um, for either one of those players. And in which case you would back the club's recruitment to replace them in the medium term, if not the short term. You would make do and mend with what you've got, a bit like we did um with some of the other players that have moved on. So, you know, we sold Maguire. We, two, about six months before that, we'd bought Filip Benkovic and we'd bought Kaglos Ayuncu into the club with the idea that one of them would eventually be the long-term successor for Maguire. And so it turned out. Um, so we have options. And yeah, you just you just got to see what comes. I mean, this is a wider point, I guess, but it will be interesting to see how the global transfer market is affected by the coronavirus issue and there might not be quite as much money sloshing around in in clubs as there would be 12 months ago um so if if that is at all an issue in terms of depressing transfer fees it might well be that all of those players are still at Leicester this time next season um or or this this time in six months time let's say um to start the new season so yeah it's a worry of course but also Leicester aren't of the stature where we can expect players to be Leicester players for life. We know that there is bigger money and more prestige elsewhere, um, for you, especially for younger prospects like Madison, like Chilwell, like Ndidi. So I don't think anyone at the club is naive enough to believe that they will be you know, Leicester players for life. It's just a matter of 
the nice position that we're not going to get. It's not like you've got vultures circling and just picking your players off like you can find in certain clubs that are having to f- have like a fire sale situation where they're just letting their best assets go for well below market value. Um, you know, we tie play, we pay good wages, which I think really helps. Um, and I think the the Champions League money and the Premier League winning money has helped that be the case. We can pay £100,000 a week if we need to, which ensures that the transfer value of a player like Madison um, is significantly boosted, you know, if someone wants to buy him out of that contract, essentially, and it's got four years to run, for example. So that's what we did with Maguire. I would suspect that's what we'll do with Madison and Chilwell as well, just to ensure that we get the very, very best money if they do decide to leave and, you know, pursue pastures new. Yeah, another name that uh, wasn't mentioned there is Damari Gray hasn't really kicked on with his career the way a lot of people expected. Do you think, kind of like you're referring to potentially Rodgers earlier, he may be one that slips out the back door instead of commanding the massive fee that at one time it looked like he might get? Yeah, I think Bournemouth were interested a couple of years ago and I think a fee of like $25 million was touted around. Um, Damari Gray is probably one of the most frustrating players Um in the Leicester team now. In fact, he, he, I'm sure him and Barnes actually, but Barnes has got the, you can give Barnes a bit of a pass because he's not been playing regularly for that long. He's 22. So there's only two years between Gray and Barnes, uh, which shows how young Gray was when we brought him in. I think he's been with us like four years, five years. So he was, he was a kid basically when we brought him in from Birmingham. Um, Gray's issue is that I still believe he's ostensibly the same player as he was that when we brought him in. Um, has a touch a very, of the Townsend about him in that way. Yeah, a little bit, actually. Yeah, both in terms of their position, their tendency to shoot when you might suspect there's a better option, and also that failure to kick on to the next level, which I guess is applicable to both of those players, all three of those points. Um, so, yeah, Gray, Gray is a fantastic player, but I think they said he'd made... Like this season, he might have tied the most appearances as a substitute or something like 75 appearances for Leicester as Premier League player off the bench. He's just the soup, the go to super sub. He rarely starts, um, which is a problem, I guess, if you're blocking the development of other players coming through from a squad perspective. I'm not saying he's definitely doing that. And at 24, he has the time to kick on. You know, you don't want to point to Jamie Vardy the whole time, but look at where Jamie Vardy was when he was 24 and Damari Gray is a lot further on in his career Mm. in terms of his prestige. But I think the key maybe is the coaching side of that. You know, maybe it hasn't helped him that we've had something of a revolving door of managers. Um, Maybe it's just that he's not going to kick on. You don't know. But let's put it this way. If someone was to offer us the market rate for Damari Gray, I think we would make allowances for him to leave. I don't think he'd be one of those players where you'd say, you know, we we don't sell unless absolutely necessary because he is that bit part player. And that's nothing against Damari. You know, he, he's, he's done extremely well in periods. The problem is he'll look good for 20 minutes off the bench in one game and he'll start the next game and then he'll basically do nothing for 70 minutes and get hauled off. And it's just that seesaw between potential and fulfilling it that he's never seemed to quite find the balance in, which is, you know, super frustrating as a fan. Um, He's electric to watch when he's on his game. He just doesn't seem to have enough going days to kind of hold down a starting place, which is difficult to to, um, line up with the potential that you see, I guess. It's a really frustrating experience at times. 
Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> not always fun watching him. Always interesting. <laughs> oh, always interesting. And it's super frustrating. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he knows this. You know, it, not that he'll ever listen to this, but I'm sure if you put these questions to him in a different environment, he would probably agree with the assessment based on the numbers don't lie. The amount of times he has come off the bench for Leicester shows you that he's not a player that can be relied on week after week to produce his best performance I would say that's not to say his best performance isn't at the level where you would start him every week if he could tap into that and get 80% of that every single week he'd probably be a starter um but it's just about consistency improving himself and obviously we don't see what he does on the training field I'm sure his training efforts are probably you know of a similar ilk one day he might turn up and look the best player on the pitch another day he might not do but that if you fail to find a middle ground that means you're consistently in the team, that's really, really difficult because if only one in five of your games are at the required level in terms of an impact, then you're not going to hold down a first-team place for very long at a team like Leicester where you've got other people banging on the door that are probably more consistent, even if their best game is some way behind yours. Right, right. Well, yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on that then. Uh, if any of those players leave, have you heard any significant names coming in or, or just general positions that you know Lesser will need to fill to uh, maybe cover the extra competition next season? I mean, I think in terms of the position next season, we do probably need at least one wide player. Um, we, I think, yeah, the wings and up front, have been a pain point. And I know Vardy's just won the Premier League Golden Boot at 35, uh, 33 years old. So for me to say, oh, the, the, the issue is up front. Um, it's not with him. It's what happens if something happens to him as he goes into his mid-30s. And I know he hasn't played as much high-level football as most other 33-year-olds that are in the Premier League because to a lot of people, you say, oh, we've got a 33-year-old up front and they must think, well, he's well over the peak of his career. I'd argue that he is probably as good as he's ever been, which is, you know, borne out by the goal numbers. The problem is that he scores such a high percentage of our goals. Um, there was no one else made double figures this year, as far as I'm aware. I think Perez got eight, Madison got six, I think Barnes got six. There was no one else in double figures. I'm pretty, pretty sure of that. Um, and apologies if I've got that wrong. But if you're ch challenging for the, for the European places and you're hoping to progress in those European competitions like the Champions League or like Europa League, you need someone or two players to contribute more in the final third than, than just that one player that gets into the 20s um, and a load of other players that are in single figures. So it was weird when we brought Perez in because we weren't really sure where he was going to play. With the 4-2-3-1 that we play that kind of can become a 4-5-1 um, when we're in defensive positions, it does mean that a second striker isn't really a natural position in that team. Um, and he's kind of been shunted out wide quite a lot. Ian Acho's there as well. But again, he's shown glimpses. He's a bit like Tamari Gray in the sense that you know he's capable of very, very good, but he just doesn't do it often enough to hold down a team and then hold down a place in the team, sorry. And then with the formation that we play, it's very rigid to the point where there isn't really another striking place. So you do end up either starting as a second striker and changing the formation, or you end up being bumped out wide, which isn't his natural position. So that's a bit tricky. 
Um, so I do think more attacking reinforcements would be interesting from that perspective if we were to kind of bring in a traditional second striker and go back to like a big man, little man situation with Vardy's pace. You know, we got rid of Islam Soleimani and Leonardo Ujoa in the same transfer window, which kind of signalled a very definite change away from that approach, which is one that we'd employed previously. Um, so that would be interesting. And then I think, yeah, the wide players in terms of if we lo- if we lost someone like Chilwell, that would need immediate um, attention. Obviously, we've got uh, James Justin, who stepped into the brink for Ricardo pretty well. He can also play on the left-hand side as well as the right-hand side. And I think his left-hand side might be his preferred side, actually. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he got an extended run in the team there. Um, and then, yeah, the wide players, it's more about working out whether we want to ship out someone like Damari Gray and hold on to Harvey Barnes. We've got Mark Albrighton, who's still there. Um, but are they who we foresee being the future? Is there someone else that we might bring in that could potentially you know, be be the next in line? Um, so, yeah, no, no firm names yet. I guess a lot of it will be informed by who leaves if anybody i think we'll you know we'll be a lot busier in the market if there are a couple of outgoings but with the way that things are i don't necessarily see that being the issue it might just be reinforcements from a um a depth perspective which is, is sorely lacking based on the last three four months of football basically if you exclude the, the shutdown yeah, as you say, it's, a, it's going to be a very short window in which you could get yeah. any of these deals done. So I do think a lot of clubs that were worried about losing a lot of players are actually in a little bit of a better position post-COVID because the money might not be as flowing and clubs yeah, might be a little bit also, more hesitant to make a lot of changes before a new season that's coming in like a month I, and a half. Yeah, I think a lot of clubs in Leicester's position where they have assets where if this was a year ago and you had a full transfer window to come, you might be sweating on someone like Madison um, or chill well into the new season. Maybe the fact that it's a shortened window means that clubs, you know, if, if Leicester, right, Leicester don't let their big assets go for cheap. So if that's the case, that that sales cycle needs to speed up significantly to get a deal done in the time that we're going to be allotted this year for transfers. So maybe it is just that clubs look past players like that where they're being quoted 60, 70, 80 million pounds, which can only be a good thing for Leicester because it means we hold on to our best players and can potentially be up there again for top four top six yeah so definitely a, a watch this space there but yeah if you can hold on to people that might be better business than selling i know like for us we all assumed that indombole would be leaving and now we're like well we have a super talented 60 million pound player probably easier to try to get more out yeah. of him this year than sell and find a replacement especially if you're paying him what is being reported where oh, you're going to have to let him go and then shell out something of that level to bring in a replacement if he's exactly. if he's the right player in the first place but obviously there's a Mourinho factor in there and if there's an if there's an issue and that's not going to get resolved then that whole yeah, adds a whole lot of <laughs> things to consider I guess for sure there are infinite variables this very brief off season um we'll wrap up by looking towards the next one though what are your expectations for next year and, and do you think the focus will be more on the domestic competitions or that you might actually try to chase that European glory in the European League and then obviously the Champions League spot that it brings it's bit it's really really tricky with Leicester because of the fact that we shouldn't buy well I, st- I still think by rights we probably shouldn't be in the position that we're in if that makes sense um you know you've got clubs like arsenal for example tottenham who would probably be traditionally more suited to where we finished so it's tricky to know um i certainly believe there's the talent there to challenge again for the top four and i think that will be the aim um based on a fifth place 
season. But the club also isn't regularly in Europe. And when we were in Europe last time, we did get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and got beat by Atletico Madrid. So that, to me, would indicate that at least at a board level, they expect some of the um, resources and some of the approach to go towards that. Now, obviously, you're dealing with a lower calibre of team by rights in the Europa League compared to the Champions League. But in the Champions League, we also got a plum draw based on being a part one team. So we were we were handed a very kind group with Copenhagen, with Bruges and with Porto. Um, and we managed to get through top of the group. Whereas in the Europa League, that might not be the case. And there are a whole lot more kind of not sleeping giants, but just high quality teams that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, that are potentially on the cusp of Champions League quality um, floating around in there. So, yeah, I would say that we need to give the Europa League a decent go. And I think they probably will. Um, the issue for Rodgers will be balancing that with the Premier League because anything less than fifth, I guess, is probably going to be seen as a, as a failure purely based on the whole kind of backward step element. So, that is really interesting and it's a really interesting balancing act um, for him. But yeah, the club will expect the domestic competitions. I mean, we've never really taken the cup competitions that seriously in, in the FA Cup and the, the Carabao Cup um, anyway. Uh, we've regularly got to the latter stages and then put out a rotated team, which has been a real fan frustration. I've spoken about it a few times before on the pod that it's a real frustration that we haven't won silverware apart from the Premier League. Like We haven't won a domestic cup for... 20 years, I think 2000 was the last time we did. Um, so there's a real appetite for fans to get to a final at Wembley. And the last few seasons, we've been in semi-finals or quarter-finals um, and we've let it slip by, and often by putting out a rotated team against like Manchester City or Chelsea. So yeah, there's, there's plenty to consider for Rodgers. It's a serious headache in terms of how you were portion that out, especially with a potentially brutal shortened season plus Europa League travel um, and everything like that. And that, again, bears mentioning. If the season doesn't start till September and has to be finished in time for a rescheduled Euro 2021, that is a real headache for teams that are in Europe um, as well as domestic. Gotcha. Well, best of luck in the coming season. <laughs> this one ended yesterday and that one's, <laughs> like I said, what, six yeah, to eight weeks away? Yeah, going to be pretty crazy. Fortunately, it looks like both of us have avoided the play-in round of the Europa League, which would add another week to it. But nobody will have to do what Wolves did this year, which was win two separate matches in different Julys in the same season. <laughs> so that'll that'll be nice. Also, I did just want to bring up this stat organically earlier when we were talking about uh, your struggles towards the end of the season, but uh, I didn't manage to. You picked up fewer points after the 9-0 win against Southampton than Southampton did. Which is insane when you th when you put it like that and also i mean just just to let, just to add to that point that 9-0 against southampton was the second of the eight consecutive league wins so it's not mm. like that was the last one and it was oh, the, wow, right. book, the bookend that turned the tide and after that we got a bit overconfident that 9-0 was the second of the eight match winning run um so considering we picked up fewer points from there that also included six more consecutive victories following that match than Southampton is mind-blowing, Yeah, really. 
yeah, it really just encapsulates the, the collapse here. Sorry to bring that up uh, right as we leave. <laughs> no, it was a difficult season uh, and just missed out on that Champions League spot. But you do have a European competition to look forward to, you know, COVID pending, as all things are yes. at the moment. Uh, but if you'd like to tell the folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a great time. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Uh, hopefully look forward to plenty more appearances in the 2021 season. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets if you want to disagree and tell me Demari Gray is the best thing since sliced bread or <laughs> Brendan Rodgers is doing a sterling job and is under no pressure, then feel free. <laughs> Go for that. Jim, thanks so much for coming on today and all season. Really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll speak soon. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,